scared and pissed off, whatever it is. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Game over, man. Game over. What an excellent day for an exorcism. You are invited to an open house where horror will be your host. Don't fall asleep. We're talking UFOs today, but I'll tell you what, for me, this is more like some kind of fucked up Guantanamo Bay kind of experiment because I am so sleep deprived. So I may trail off at some point. (laughs) (laughs) This is Uh, is like an MKUltra experiment. Why are you so sleep deprived? You've been shagging too much. Is that what that is? I wish that was the case. No, no, I'm old. Um, No, I took my... Because here in Adelaide, we're in the middle of the Fringe Festival, which Mm. is... Uh, an open access arts festival, second largest in the world, as I'm led to believe. Sounds nice. It's very nice. Yeah. We took my son to a magic show last mm, night. I, You know how I personally feel about magicians. Creepy. How everyone feels about magicians. Yeah. But children like them, and I'm not going to take my son to see a bawdy, some <laughs> bawdy comedian who jokes about women's bloomers. Right. <laughs> so we go to this magic show, and yeah. it's fantastic. The guys are really... Really good magician. Mm-hmm. He's been around for years. He's uh, he's a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the the fucking the the tricks were incredible. Yeah, but he's doing the classics. Okay, you know, so he's doing the whole like water coming out of the folded newspaper and you know sleight of hand stuff and rope being joined and pulled apart and Ooh, all this sort yep. of stuff. Yep. The very end of the show. Uh huh. He has got a desk hidden to one side. It's it's in plain view, but it's just been there. It's this in this innocuous desk. Okay, just an ordinary desk. Ordinary desk yeah. with with a suitcase full of his tricks on top of it. Okay, sounds harmless. Very harmless. It's, yeah. a, it's a stage prop. Looks okay. nice. It's antique. He tells this story about finding a haunted doll. In Ooh. Now, my son, up until this point, has really enjoyed it. The, uh-huh. haunt, the haunted doll has set him on edge. Well, you know, yeah. As it does. Yeah. He's seven years old. You, although also we, you can't say anything. You like you didn't sleep for the month that Rosa was living here. Let's talk about that. <laughs> the final thirty seconds of the show. Uh huh. This has gone from family friendly quality night out to the fucking ring. What? Because right at the very last second of the show, he, he takes his pants off as he's talking about this haunted doll. Mm. The story goes on about how, like, you can hear the voice of the haunted doll saying, "My doll, my doll." Suddenly, there's an audio recording that plays at concert volume, very well produced piece of radio. Uh huh. My doll, my doll. Out of that fucking suitcase comes this actress who is like a spider, like full Regan from The Exorcist, out backwards. Spiders onto the ground, grabs the doll out of his hand, and runs directly up through the middle of the audience past my son, who fucking shits himself. That is literally like that's when you like you watch those documentaries about the making of a serial killer. Yeah. Wow. And like it was, man, it was really well done. But I fucking wish I didn't have a seven-year-old child sitting there. And this was a child's magic show. It wasn't a child's magic show. It was family friendly. So it was on at night. It was on at 7 o'clock at night. Okay. Okay. In a cinema. And that ended with the ring. Basically, yeah. Yeah. So we had to bring my son home and to calm him down, I had to let him watch a movie that would take his mind off it completely. So I let him watch Step Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) We have a drum set here. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is literally how serial killers are made. (laughs) My son's going, why are his nuts so big? <laughs> They're prop nuts, son. Wow, that's, a, that's an unusual turn. Although, I've got to be honest. See, I've long suspected that... I've told you, I, like, I don't like magicians because I always no think one does. they're going to kill me and do weird sex things to me in their basement. Yeah. So I imagine that was some poor backpacker that the magician has just killed. And Could have been, yeah. I don't feel like it was an act. I think you might have actually witnessed a paranormal activity. <laughs> We've interrupted something horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You like the the ticket girl wasn't like seven days. Oh. <laughs> apart from that flawless magic show. Oh, apart it was from, apart from traumatizing my son. Yeah, flawless. Yeah, and apparently I have to bring seven friends to see this show within <laughs> seven days or something. About we'll all die, but I'm sure it'll be fine. No, that's just the coronavirus. <laughs> Oh, oh my lord! Well, we had a bit of we had a bit of excitement 
um, here in in Adelaide on the night of recording. Yeah, right. As as we record. Yes, we uh, we had like a state election, and it was like what polls closed at six o'clock, and it's been called at like what is it? 8-01? Within two hours, they, they've counted twenty percent of the vote, and they've already called the election. <laughs> and our conservative government, who handled the pandemic really well, yeah. have been turfed out on their ass. I uh, yeah, I mean, like we were not expecting such a strong vote for Putin, but you know, <laughs> what, what can you tell? What can you? say when you're going to get 94% of the vote you're going to get 94% of the vote so who saw it coming I think it's just that our farmers think they're going to get a free tank (laughs) where do I collect my tank from (laughs) oh my god my favorite meme in the world that's circulating right now I don't know I believe I sent it to you where it had a list of the world's largest (laughs) armies and number one is China (laughs) like second was the USA and three uh, Ukrainian farmers (laughs) They they officially have more tanks than the Australian army now it is fantastic. Because we're still waiting for our Abrams tanks to be delivered. Oh, my God. If anybody out there hasn't seen it, honestly, Google Ukrainian farmers stealing Russian tanks. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, they're just finding all these abandoned or broken down Russian tanks that are worth millions yeah. of dollars. And they're literally just carting them off. At first, they were, like, carting them off to give to the Ukrainian army to fight the Russians. Yeah. And now it's it's kind of, like, it's hilarious, the videos. They're taking them for joy rides. Yeah. They're doing, like, donuts in paddocks, yeah. like, just big tank donuts. And they're kind of, like, you see them and they're like, oh, one for the Ukrainian army, one for me. <laughs> And there's one, it's this, bless him, this Ukrainian, like, farmer. He's got, like, about ten tanks and, like, armoured personnel carriers yeah. just in front of his shed now. Just because. Yeah. Why not? And apparently the Ukrainian army has declared that come tax time, you won't need to declare Russian tanks on your tax return. Some of them are going to be pulling plows, for sure. <laughs> There you go. This, it's the old communist propaganda of turning swords into plowshares right there. Beautiful. Ah, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I think it's the greatest thing ever. So, yeah, if you need something to do, uh, yeah, Google that. Although, ooh, did you see that the international relations and the, shall we say, iciness has spread into space? Has it? Yes. Oh, my Lord. So, uh, today, three Russian cosmonauts have appeared uh, wearing a blue and yellow space suit. Of course, the colours of Ukraine. Right. Where the fuck did they get that in space? Uh, no, no, no. They're, they're on Earth. I was going to say, what, they just they're got a craft Earth. supply closet up there? <laughs> no, I think they're supposed to be the next people to go up. <laughs> Quickly, Vladimir, get the linen. <laughs> But you think, well, wow, that's that's a very you know like you know that that's a very touching moment from yeah. them, you know, coming from nowhere. It might possibly have something to do with the fact that uh, when sanctions were declared against Russia, obviously news yeah. of this made its way all the way up to the International Space Station, yeah. where apparently the because at the moment I believe there's two or three. There were two or three Russians, uh, cosmonauts there, and one American astronaut in the International Space Station. Yeah. And (laughs) the Russian cosmonauts decided to just film a little video, just make it a little bit, just a little something for the gram, a little something for the gram, make a little film for the gram, in which it showed them... Uh, essentially locking off the Russian component of the International oh. Space Station um, and basically locking the American off in his part by himself as the cosmonauts <laughs> waved goodbye to him. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Saying, oh, we'll see how well you'll do without Russia now. <laughs> Unfortunately, this may have been leaked. Oh, dear. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not saying that, you know, it's completely without propaganda, but I salute the PR company <laughs> for those Russian cosmonauts who are really working on triple overtime. Wow. Yeah. That, I'm not pro-Putin, but you kind of got to give it to those cosmonauts. <laughs> That's way cooler than that fucking Chris Hadfield singing Ground Control to Major Tom <laughs> while he was not there. No, 
but it's like as soon as this video, like the video, like went viral, yeah. like American news, like markets, like went insane. Like suddenly, like the mother of the astronaut, like woke up, and there was all these oh, film no. crews on her front lawn going, "How do you feel about the fact that Russia is going to leave your son alone and abandoned in space?" Oh, and she's like, "What?" Jesus. Um, yeah, it's all right. They have since confirmed not going to leave alone. <laughs> alone astronaut in space <laughs> with part of the International Space Station. You know what? It's all right. We get Elon Musk. One of his, another one of his rockets, I'm sure, will fly off course. I could just like knock him back into like knock him back into Earth's orbit. Yeah, you can Sandra Bullock that shit down into the. <laughs> Land in a swamp. He'll be fine. <laughs> be fine. Don't worry about it. God. <laughs> oh, so good times. Good times. Absolutely. The world is an amazing place to live. Well, where else are you going to fucking live? Is there another world? <laughs> well, on the International Space Station, not for long. <laughs> oh, my lord. <laughs> I just look forward to seeing some Ukrainian in space tow the space station. <laughs> Mine is John Deere. <laughs> is my space station now. <laughs> oh. I will use it for chickens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, cut to the space station. There's just some like angry like Ukrainian grandma. She doesn't even need a space suit. She's just like, fuck you, space. And she's just out there peeling a potato. Just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Handing uh, Russian cosmonauts tiny little tardigrades. <laughs> so when you die in space, these fungus beasts will grow in you. <laughs> Is plot point in New Star Trek? Oh my god! I said it to you earlier today. I think um, uh, another just oh, terrible consequence of yeah. this terrible invasion of Ukraine yeah. we haven't even faced yet, because it is only a matter of time. Until American studios start making films about the heroes of Ukraine and have English, American, Irish and Welsh actors (laughs) speaking in English but with a Ukrainian, terrible Ukrainian accent, um, just ruining ruining it for everybody. How do you think Matthew McConaughey is going to go with a Ukrainian accent? (laughs) All right, all right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Who would like bongs and vodka? See, I wish it was even that good. For those who can't remember, was it U571 um, about the Russian... Um, U571 was about the, the Americans trying to steal an Enigma machine. No, 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 not that one. The one about the, the Russian submarine, like it was a nuclear submarine. The Kursk. And it, 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 it sunk, but then the, the radiation was leaking, so the guys had to go in like work for like... Yeah, a bit and I don't know what that's called, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they did like a – was it the <laughs> – they did the version and they got people from like Harrison Ford and Liam Neeson. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> to do like Russian accents. And if you've never heard Liam Neeson uh, do a Russian accent, it doesn't sound like no. a Russian accent. Well, you could just do the hunt for Red October and just have a Sean Connery style Russian. <laughs> we just didn't even try. <laughs> Comrades, check her out to see. <laughs> I'm from a not very popular visited part of Siberia. <laughs> there are Russians in Scotland. So I think that's going to that's gonna be another sort of terrible thing that's going to come from this war. Probably. Yeah, when Disney starts making the Hallmark films. Oh, yeah. just so long as Bryce Dallas Howard gets to direct one. Oh, my God, you have such a crush on her. I do. Calm down. Well, her dad's not hot. It's got to be her. Uh, that's true. But you, do you think she's going she's gonna to knock it out of this world? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, she's fucking great. Wow. Because you know what else? Is out of this world. Oh, here we go. It's a hard right turn into space. <laughs> the topic of this week. Oh, we got excellent velocity on that fucking pivot. <laughs> All right. So picture this, okay? 1965. September the 3rd. Exeter, New Hampshire. Oh. USA. The sky is clear. As are the hills outstretched before 18-year-old Norman Muscarello. 
He sounds like the new Fonz. <laughs> it's a good New Hampshire name. <laughs> he was a tough kid who also wasn't so tough on the eyes, which is why he found himself out here. Norman had been out here keeping a young lady company for a little while, and now he was walking his way back into town at two in the morning. Oh. Slept. A lot of jackets to put his... A lot of uh, puddles to put his jacket over. <laughs> Possibly Nor- in the back seat of his car. Yeah. Ooh. Well, no, he didn't have a car. That's why he was walking. Oh. Because Norman was three months out of high school and was leaving for the Navy in three weeks. So with no license and no car, he would usually just hitchhike to his rendezvous wow. around town. Imagine hi- hitchhiking to a booty call. Oh, those were the days. Wasn't it? It was a simpler time. <laughs> just rock up with the guy who drove you. This is Jeff. <laughs> So we, we really bonded over that last 20 mile stretch. Want to get creative? <laughs> <laughs> Is there room for three? Oh, but at this late hour, he had little option other than to walk. He was about five miles or eight kilometers south of Exeter when Norman was about to witness something that would rock his world more than his lady friend. Oh. He was about to see what he would call the thing. Okay. It sounds like I have just painted the backdrop for a coming out story. (laughs) And this is about Norman seeing his first cock. So (laughs) I'm sorry if anyone hopes that's where it's going. (laughs) At that point, you'd just be like, actually, thank fuck I am going to the Navy. (laughs) Yeah, woo! Made the right choice there. Yeah, thank you, career counsellor. Oh, so he saw The Thing, not to be confused with John Carpenter's The Thing. The Thing. Can you imagine just walking home and there is like an eight foot like half man dog thing (laughs) in the park? Oh, my Lord. Now, before this night was over, an officer of the law would have his life changed. Oh. Norman would end in a ditch, a cop would draw his gun, and we will meet a real hunt. (laughs) In this week's episode of The Cops vs. Space, or... And now, Pigs in Muppets. <laughs> Where's the stoppy thing? I fucking love that. I know. Oh my god. After reaching the road, Norman continued his long walk home. As he did, he noticed five red lights in the distance. Not thinking it anything strange, Norman continued forward. But when he did get closer, he could see the lights belonged to something that was in fact hovering in the air just above the tree line. The strange object was about 24 to 27 metres or 80 to 90 feet in diameter. Wow, okay. The lights illuminated the field and two houses, one of which was unoccupied, in a bright red light. Okay. <laughs> Pimp daddy in town. <laughs> the object made absolutely no sound. The animals, however... Dogs barked, the horses whinnied from their barns, then everything went silent. The object then began to move slowly towards him. Norman threw himself in a ditch. <laughs> I fucking, I would have too. And hid. The object, <laughs> that tactic could also be applied to his time in the Navy, especially those first three weeks. We've heard about the hazing. <laughs> The object changed its course and now hovered over the empty house. Norman ran to the other house and began pounding on their door, yelling for help and to be let inside. The family inside heard Norman, but were too scared to open the door and did not even acknowledge they were home. Fair enough. They've just had an intergalactic property investor (laughs) come past and check out their place. Okay, so if you have seen an UFO hovering over your house yeah. and then a human being is like, ah, 
me in, let me in, let me in. Would you let them in or would you just like turn the lights off and be like, pretend no one's home? No, it's, you're going full the road. Oh. Lights off, fuck off, you're dead. Yeah, well, yeah. okay. So okay. you made you made your choice to be outside, <laughs> lover boy. <laughs> I just have this image of you. The curtains part just enough for you to put a broom out there and just push him away from the door. Get away. <laughs> you're luring him over here. <laughs> Oh, Lord. (laughs) So, at that moment, Norman watched as the object continued on its journey and it simply disappeared from view into the woods. At that moment, Norman saw the headlights of a car approaching along the road. Norman ran out onto the road and threw himself in front of the car, causing it to stop. It was Scratch. And his girlfriend Sniff, presumably. (laughs) As Norman quickly recounted his tale, the young lovers would have thought Norman a madman if they didn't already know him. Okay. So the young couple drove Norman to the police station. Meanwhile, out on National Highway 108, police officer Eugene Bertrand Jr., because, of course, why wouldn't you want to keep the name Eugene Bertrand alive? It's pretty good. <sighs> it's pretty classy. <laughs> pretty classy. Not gonna get, it's, like a, it's like a really good license plate. You just hang on to that for generations. <laughs> what I was going to say, like, Officer Junior. It sounds like one of those, like, a baby becomes a police officer in the South. Hilarity and shoes. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> so he was driving when he saw a car stopped by the side of the highway. Officer Bertrand approached the vehicle uh, on foot. He pulled in, approached the vehicle on foot. He could see a woman in a state of distress behind the wheel. Officer Bertrand asked if the woman was okay and in need of assistance. The driver replied that Epping, which was about 19 kilometres or 12 miles past, after she had left Epping, a, quote, huge object with flashing red lights had appeared in the sky and hovered over her car the entire journey. Jesus. Regardless of the pace that she kept in the car, the object kept pace with her. When she sped up, it sped up. When she slowed down, it would slow down. The officer reacted how men reacted to women in the 60s. He slapped her? He dismissed her as a crackpot. <laughs> or a cook. But still, the woman was obviously... I. I don't know why I've written, but still the woman was obviously aroused by the incident. What are you? What are you? Bouncing around here. It's just because you want to fuck an alien. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. Deposit your eggs in me. <laughs> you know what? Write for the story you want, not the story you're reading. Oh, Lord. Oh, you know what it is? I think it was like because they were like in the book, they were all like, oh, the woman was like hysterical. And I'm like, look. It was. She was not hysterical because she was a woman, okay? She just happened to be upset, okay? She'd just been menaced by an alien. Let's get this gendered language out of here. She's a fucking coward, yeah. all right? <laughs> a horny coward, right? Yeah, what's she doing out at two in the morning? Yeah. Look, regardless of gender, I think it's appropriate to be a horny coward in Absolutely. this situation. Horny cowards make the world go round. Absolutely. You'll find me in the tunnels under Kiev. <laughs> The only reason we're alive is because our ancestors were horny cowards. <laughs> oh, heroes die. There's some more merch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, can we produce a doona? <laughs> Just a bumper sticker. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> if this van's a rockin', there's a horny coward with your wife. <laughs> well, you're at war. Oh lord. But still, the woman, yes, she was aroused. We get it. So Officer Bertrand said that he stayed with the woman for about 15 minutes before she was calm enough to renew her journey. Right. Or I think basically until she had enough of being patronised by a man (laughs) in the 60s. That was actually the cure for nervous hysteria. If this doesn't cure you, well... Let me just consult my field manual here. (laughs) As an officer of the law, I'm professional. This brings me no personal pleasure, ma'am. Please drop your drawers. (laughs) Can we get a mothman in here? Do you hear me, 
dispatch. I need a mouth man. We have a woman who is aroused. <laughs> Officer Carpet Munchie reporting for duty. <laughs> How will I find you? Just just shine your light in the sky, officer. Shine your light in the sky and he will find you. The twat signal. <laughs> oh my god, it's just this giant vulva projected into the sky. Oh my god, I would watch that. I would too. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. And is it her arch nemesis instead of why so serious? It's just like why so tense. <laughs> it's just DJ Khaled. <laughs> I don't do that. Oh god. Uh, now, meanwhile, at the police station, a pale and shaking Norman recounted the story to Officer Reginald Toland, who was working dispatch at the police station. Officer Toland also knew Norman and could see that Norman's fear was both authentic and out of character. So he radioed for Officer Bertrand to return to the station. <laughs> you're looking at me like you're about to say something. Because you said Ossifer. Oh. <laughs> What's the problem, Ossifer? You spit to my wine. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, oh, <laughs> oh what, what is that? Oh, is that your bad attitude I'm tasting? Anyway. <laughs> Free wine, don't complain. <laughs> Office, you didn't buy this, your girlfriend bought this. Yeah, so. yeah you're Because I'm a recovering alcoholic You've and I've given can't... nothing. It's not all about you. <laughs> what about your guests? <laughs> Fuck. Grant me the serenity to provide you with some booze you like. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, Officer Bertrand. I'm not. I've got to make a choice between putting my baby down or my wine. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Officer Bertrand listened to Norman's story and noticed similarities to the object described by the aroused lady out on the highway. Now, this is some epic police work. He noticed some similarities. Mm. Did he? Giant fucking glowing disc in the sky. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that sounds mm. a lot like something else I've encountered. Because mm. he just fucking works through it like house. <laughs> He would just like these charts of the screen. <laughs> I'm drawing it. I'm drawing a conclusion. Mm, there's something here that's just a picture of the sun that he crosses out. <laughs> no, it wasn't that one. <laughs> oh, so Officer Bertrand put Norman into his patrol car, and they returned to the site where Norman had claimed to have seen the object, because that's what you should do from someone who suffered a trauma. Make them instantly go back to the site of the trauma. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's uh, what I found every time. This is how the services work. Mm, get back on that horse. Yeah. So, sitting in the patrol car, the two men saw nothing. Damn. Like, cops make me nervous at the best of times. Imagine <laughs> just sitting in a darkened field, just in a cop with a police station. It's like, so should we, like, are we... Are you going to shoot me or assault me? I don't know. <laughs> like, this is awkward. <laughs> oh, Lord. So they sat in the patrol car for a very long time, awkwardly. Nothing happened. So what did the two white boys do? You know what they did. Come on. You know what they did. What do you think they did? One of two things. Mm -hmm. They used his service revolver to shoot Coke, Coca-Cola bottles. Uh-huh. On a fence, mm -hmm. or they tried to see if they could dock their penises. A combination of the two. Yeah. I'm sure. They got out of the patrol car and walked through the field towards the woods. Of course. Where the alien ship had disappeared to. Yeah, that's the thing to do. Mm -hmm. In the nearby corral, the two men could suddenly hear the sound of frightened horses kicking the sides of the barns. The dogs began to howl and then bark viciously. Norman and Officer Bertrand watched dumbfounded as the object rose slowly above the trees behind the barn, which Bertrand described as <coughs> this huge dark object as big as a barn over there with red flashing lights on it. So literally what he described yeah. that you got out of your safe police car yeah, to yeah. go investigate. Some quality police work. 
Once clear of the tree line, the flying object began moving towards them. Fuck that. Officer, what do you think the cop did? What do you think a cop's first reaction to seeing a UFO is? (laughs) Shoot at it. Officer Bertrand dropped to one knee and drew his service pistol. (laughs) Works on black people. Let's try it out. I also, like, I'm just picturing, like, the the flying saucer from Independence Day and this guy with, like, his little, like, service revolver. Pew, pew. Oh, Lord. But once common sense kicked in, Officer Bertrand grabbed petrified Norman and the two ran back towards the car that they shouldn't have got out of in the first place. Once in the safety of the car, Officer Bertrand radioed for assistance. (laughs) Unless it was, we shouldn't have got out of the fucking car! We got out of the car! I don't know why we got out of the car! I don't know why people would think they're safe in that car. Yeah, I know. Just chunk. It's not someone trying to wash your windscreen for $5. No, no, no. But I'm sure it wasn't just chunk. It was chunk and then click <laughs> as they put the little lock on. <laughs> this is the 60s, whether they're in an old fucking Plymouth. Yeah. Yeah, no. Why'd you make that little click? <laughs> Although I had to think because it's like, it's in America. It was probably hot. The windows were down. Oh, it's New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. Might have been chill. Oh, then again, young Norman's walking home after some... Yeah. After he's uh, dipped his old plimsoll line. Exactly. So, you know. So they ran back. They radioed for assistance. It was then that a real hunt got involved. Okay. Uh, (coughs) Quote. This is from Officer Bertrand. We got out there. We saw nothing. It was pitch dark. He asked me if I would come down to the field with him. So I walked down the field with him and he started yelling. I looked over and I saw some object come skinning across the treetops about 76 to 80 feet in the air and it looked like it might be spinning. Everyone gets an Arkansas accent in this, by the way. At first, we thought that the lights were going from left to right, but it could be we were uh, looking at the thing and the thing was turning. I grabbed a hold of the guy. I yanked him out of the field. Hey. hey. <laughs> because I didn't want to get caught in an open field with something swooping down. <laughs> We got back to the cruiser and Officer Hunt showed up. Yeah, I know. It's like, I'm like, I would not be like, oh, I'm in my car. Nothing. Nothing can get us in here. I like his strategy. I didn't want to be in an open field with this thing. It might swoop down like a fucking magpie. (laughs) What are you going to do? Put an ice cream container in your head, draw eyes on the back so that'll stop him. (laughs) Yeah, I drew some like, some like eyes. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) So, another cop car pulls up behind the other cop car. Yeah. And they all just sat there in in the cars (laughs) looking at this fucking thing. (laughs) Uh, Officer Bertrand says, The three of us watched it for a minute. It took off and headed towards the coast, making no noise just above treetop level. In a later interview, when asked about the size of the object, Officer Bertrand said, <clears throat> Norman said it was as big as a barn, but to me, it didn't look that big. I thought it was just a good-sized plane, like a one two, four or something. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, in the interview, the person then asked if he thought the object followed the laws of aerodynamics or did it defy them. Okay. That is a hell of a question for someone who was working the night shift in the New Hampshire police. <laughs> Would you agree that this thing followed the laws of physics? <laughs> well, well, according to the laws of thermodynamics. Officer Bertrand was concise in his answer, which was, <clears throat> it did defy them. <laughs> I've never seen anything fly that way. It was just floating like a leaf. <laughs> This man has never heard of dirigibles. <laughs> oh, my God. But the other thing is, can we please take a moment to appreciate the glory of a police officer actually called Hunt? <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine if you got pulled over by this Hunt? Yeah. I wish, I wish his name was Corporal Hunt. Sea <sighs> Hunt. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if he's like, oh, my God, you go on to be like a... Can you imagine if your judge was a real hunt? Are 
real hunt. You descended from a long line of hunts. <laughs> well, I'll see you next Tuesday, boy. <laughs> oh. So the UFO is in the sky. Officer Bertrand and Norman in one vehicle and Officer Hunt in the second patrol car behind them. All of them sat there watching the object for about five minutes until the object flew into the distance and disappeared. Soon after that, as the men, they got out of their cars and they stood around talking. The Hunt heard the engines of a B-47 bomber fly overhead, saying later in an interview... Uh, describing the two objects. Yeah. You can tell the difference. There was no comparison. That's fair. Those old bombers were loud as fuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Officer Bertrand asked the hunt, well, where do you think it is now? To which the hunt replied, I think it's probably over to Hampton. (laughs) The officers, it turned out. Defied physics in the next county. (laughs) Now, if you excuse me, I've got some chickens to round up. (laughs) This corn ain't gonna shuck itself (laughs) The officers were spot on As they heard the Hampton office on their radios The Hampton office had just got a call from a man in Hampton Who had claimed that an object with red flashing lights Had just swooped down at his car And chased the car It just sounds like some UFO kids Have just taken the spaceship out for the weekend Friday night it's like Ferris Bueller from space. Oh my god, it really is. When we get back, we've got to put it up on bricks. <laughs> Fly it backwards. Another person, a local school teacher, reported also seeing the strange object and that it generated static electricity. Oh. And that the hairs on both his head and his arms stood up. <laughs> so what, are, what, what are people? <laughs> what are all these people doing up? That's what about to say there's a lot of people up at three in the morning in this school teachers <laughs> and priests and lonely women <laughs> sailors yeah. a lot of fucking going on in yeah. New Hampshire. Oh. oh my lord <laughs> we're just over in vermont i want to know what bernie sanders was up to at this time that's why the alien spacecraft didn't laugh. That's what the red light was. It was one of those UV lights. They were just trying to look for a safe spot to like touch down, and they were like, "Oh, don't sit on that. Oh, don't touch so that." So much jizz here. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. We're gonna need another space landing port. <laughs> oh lord. <laughs> so the uh, the Hampton office sent their cruisers out and called the nearby Air Force Base, who dispatched two fighter planes into the air. Well, that's all it takes. Yeah. Just some, I saw some shit. All right, taking well, off. It's the fifties. It was a different time. True. Yeah. You'd be like, is that a balloon or an alien? I don't know. Can you call the Air Force? <laughs> what color were the lights? Red. Russians. <laughs> Get them. That's even worse. <laughs> Oh, the two officers and Norman all drove back to the police station and then all three filled out separate police reports about what they had just witnessed. Now, Officer Bertrand then drove Norman home and in one of the write-ups about this, it actually says that Officer Bertrand told Norman's mum <laughs> about the incident. <laughs> He is three weeks out of the Navy. I think he's old enough to tell his mum his own story. I was just coming home from my prayer meeting. (laughs) With the local vicar (laughs) and my gym teacher. Oh, Lord. So, Officer Bertrand received a phone call the following day at noon. From the Exeter Police Department. Okay. They wanted Bertrand and the Hunt to come to Exeter for a meeting at one o'clock at the police station with two officers from the Air Force. Okay. They also told Bertrand and Hunt to keep quiet and not discuss what had happened with anyone. What happens in the field stays in the field. Clearly. Officer Bertrand had to break it to them that that ship had already passed. <laughs> because a newspaper reporter had been listening into the police radios with his scanner and was already at the police station before Officer Bertrand and Hunt had even returned. What the fuck? Norman, Officer Bertrand and the Hunt were all interviewed by members of the Air Force Blue Book Project. Oh. 
as well as UFO investigators. Now, one of the Air Force investigators, Major Griffin, wrote that, (coughs) quote, At this time, I have been unable to arrive at a probable cause of this sighting. The three observers seem to be stable, reliable persons, especially the two patrolmen. I viewed the area of the sighting and found nothing in the area that could be the probable cause. Pierce Air Force Base had five B-47 aircraft flying in the area, but I do not believe that they had any connection with this sighting. But then the Air Force came out with an announcement that the officers and civilians had simply seen a mid-air refueling operation. Okay, yep. Which was strange as no refueling operations were listed to be happening that evening. Uh, There was also the fact that Officer Bertrand had previously been in the Air Force working, would you believe, in refueling. (laughs) And so Bertrand knew exactly the sights, sounds and smells of a plane refueling. And this was not that. (laughs) So US Air Force Major Hector Quintala Jr., who was the chief of Project Blue Book, sent a letter to the police department, again stating that the witness probably just saw some normal US Air Force operations. Project Blue Book also claimed that a SAC NORAD training mission called Operation Big Blast. They had the best names. Oh, yeah. Such good. Castle Bravo. Oh, yeah. Um, In addition to aircraft from this operation, Big Blast, there were also five B-47 aircraft flying in the area during this period. Since there were so many in the aircraft in the area at the time, but they reported no unidentified objects. So he uh, basically said that he assumed that the objects that they observed between midnight and 2 a.m. were just associated with the military air operation. Right. The eyewitnesses refuted this explanation. Officer Bertrand and Officer Hunt sent a letter in rebuttal back to Project Blue Book. The letter read, <coughs> As you can imagine... We have been the subject of considerable ridicule since the Pentagon released its final evaluation of our sightings of September the 3rd, 1965. In other words, both Patrolman Hunt and myself saw this object at close range, checked it out with each other. Yeah, we did, boy. (laughs) Confirmed and reconfirmed that it was not any type of conventional aircraft and went to considerable trouble to confirm that the weather was clear, that there was no wind, no chance of weather inversion, and what we were seeing was in no way a military or civilian aircraft. Also, Bertrand went on to point out that Operation Big Blast ended an hour before the object was sighted. Ah. Project Blue Book did not respond to this. (laughs) Whoops. So, four months later, the two policemen sent another letter. (laughs) I hope they started referring to them derisively as Operation Blue Balls. (laughs) In it, they noted that what they saw, (coughs) quote, was absolutely silent with no rush of air from jets or chopper blades whatsoever. And it did not have any wings or tail. It lit up the entire field and two houses nearly turned completely red. (laughs) It looked kind of fucking cool. (laughs) (laughs) Very fucking cool. Even members of the press were now mocking the Air Force explanations. Oh, dear. John G. Fuller, who had been covering the story from the start, wrote that even he himself had seen an unidentified object near the town of Exeter. And he says he witnessed the object being chased by none other than a U.S. Air Force jet. Okay. Next... (laughs) The Air Force base commander, 
decided to get in on it. Oh, God. And he decided to hold a press conference at two in the morning. (laughs) Just to get the word out. To prove to the press and everyone else that the eyewitnesses were simply looking at the floodlights of the base and had overreacted. Okay, yep. So, the base commander had the press meet him in that same field that Norman and Officer Bertrand and Hunt had claimed to have witnessed the UFOs at two in the morning. Once there, (laughs) the base commander announced his theory that it was just floodlights and they were hysterical bitches. He then radioed the Air Force base to turn the lights of the base on. No one in the field could see any lights. So the commander again radioed, telling them to turn the lights on. To which it could be heard over the radio. (laughs) The base told him that the lights were already on. (laughs) No one in the field could see any lights. The base commander very promptly walked out of his own pref conference. <laughs> he dove into the back seat of his staff car and he sped off from the laughing crowd. That did not go as he anticipated. That's some fucking Four Seasons landscaping shit <laughs> right there. That's Giuliani outside a porn store. He just decided to pull that theory. Had obviously <laughs> never actually been to the air, like to the field, or he went to the field mm. and saw like the neighbouring houses, like front light porch, and yeah. was like, "Yeah, that's clearly my base." <laughs> oh my lord! So the Pentagon, oh dear, then got involved and changed the explanation. Okay. Saying that the witnesses simply observed planet inversion caused by twinkling stars and heat, causing a sort of visual mirage of sorts. Also, it's fair to say the young sailor was a bit dehydrated from all the ladies he was impregnating. He might have been seeing some things. <laughs> yeah, he didn't just accidentally fall in that ditch. No. He came out there looking like a girlfling that's just had the fucking yep. skexy treatment. Ugh. There is nothing going to get ladies hotter than someone who's, or, you know, men, about someone who's about to ship out for service. Uh, someone you. Yeah. What? And your grandma. <laughs> they shipped in. <laughs> yeah, into your grandma. <laughs> uh, it did not take journalists long to discover more and more alleged sightings of the object. It turns out that in the weeks leading up to the encounter by Norman and the officers, several separate witnesses had reported sightings in the skies in Kensington, a neighbouring town. A number of people from the Exeter area also came forward and said that they too had seen strange lights and unusual objects. It might have just been the Air Force base commander (laughs) driving around in the fucking field (laughs) looking for a theory. (laughs) Uh, One of those was Ron Smith, who was a senior at the local high school. He claimed that he was in the car with his mother and his aunt at 11.30 at night when they saw, (coughs) quote, a red light on top and the bottom was white and glowed. It appeared to be spinning. It passed over the car once and when it passed over and got in front, it stopped in midair. Then it went back over the car again. Fuller also interviewed another police officer, Officer Toland, who worked dispatch, who said that he had personally taken a number of calls from people in the Exeter area who had all reported sighting UFOs. Toland described one of these calls from a Mrs. Ralph Lindsay. <coughs> Quote. Okay. This is him describing the phone call. Is he going to put on a woman's voice? <laughs> Well, when he does her part, obviously. (laughs) That'd be the best press conference ever. (laughs) She called in here early, just before dawn. She said, It's right out my window! (laughs) (laughs) It was right out her window as she was calling. It was like a big orange bowl. (laughs) Almost as big as the moon. Okay. But it was 
the moon. Okay, glad we're clear about that. How many times do you think she has come out and seen the moon and called it in? That's what I get from his statement. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But it wasn't the moon. All the time she was talking to me, her kids were at the window and watching it. Now, why would people go to all this trouble, people all over the area, if they weren't seeing something real? Like the moon. Like the moon. I I have no doubts that somebody's called in the moon. (laughs) Uh, But it was not until January 1966, six months after the initial reported sighting, that Officer Bertrand and Officer Hunt received a response from their second letter. It came from the Office of the Secretary of the Air Force. Good gracious. It stated that, based on additional information submitted to our UFO investigation officer, does does the Air Force still have a UFO investigation officer? Um, I don't think it's the Air Force anymore. I think it's the Navy. Can I find it on, like, Seek? So it's all to do with that shit that happened with Congress last year where they did the UFO report and then they committed a bunch of money to establishing a full-time UAP task force. And I think it's run out of the Navy. What's a UAP? Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Oh, but but what if it's in the ocean? They also, they also cover them, USOs. Yeah, but then it's not a UAP. No, no. But oh, that, it's an underwater. Underwater, uh, so unidentified submerged submerged object. Yeah, but it's not a UAP then. I'm saying no, you no. can't call your business the UAP. You're just discriminating half of your clientele. Well, you know, it's run out of the Navy. Oh, and anagrams matter, okay? And You mean acronyms? And them too. <laughs> Kayak is an anagram. I do not like your attitude tonight. <laughs> I drink one bottle of wine. <laughs> Maybe two. You're, you're pissed and I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> it's like we are those cops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're definitely Officer Hunt. <laughs> Why am I being eaten by a mothman? <laughs> you look tense, son. Oh, Lord. So, <laughs> so it's been submitted to our UFO investigation officer... Right, Patterson, AFB, Ohio. We have been unable to identify the object you observed on September the 3rd, 1965. There you go. Six months. Six months to be told they had no idea what it was. The town people, when they found out, were livid. They were livid at the way that the Air Force had handled the situation from beginning to end. So the townspeople decided to do something about it. They're going to start their own damn Air Force? The people, all of the residents and the residents of Exeter and all of its neighbouring towns began calling, writing and visiting all of their elected officials. Oh, God. The pressure worked. (laughs) You're joking. And Congressman Gerald R. Ford ah. convened a ag- congressional hearing about the incident before the House Armed Service Committee. Can you, ima- can you imagine? I want to just get like people just to complain about random shit and have... Yeah, a future president. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just call a congressional hearing. Yeah, wow. Oh, my Lord. Simpler times. Was it Ford or Carter who saw a UFO? I reckon it was Carter. Oh, well, are <laughs> you talking about before or after they became president? You know what I'm saying. <laughs> On April the 15th, 1966, eight months after the incident with Norman, the United States Air Force declared at the hearing that the object in question was unidentified from the start. Goodness gracious. The Air Force claimed they had no idea where the edge, where the object came from or who operated it. Fuck. Dun, dun, dun. No one to this day has claimed ownership of the craft that prowled the skies. Later that year, the journalist Fuller published a book on the incident and the following events called Incident 
at Exeter. <laughs> Lamest title for That's a book ever. Pretty bad. Which made the New York Times bestseller list. It was, it was 1955. They're probably releasing three books a year. <laughs> In April 2003, Norman died age 55 after health complications. Officer Bertrand died in 1998, and the other Hunt lived until 2011. But to the end, they all insisted that their story was true and that they had seen no ordinary object. Now, this year is the 55th anniversary of the incident. And if you're looking for a way to celebrate it, never fear, because in 2010... The Exeter Kiwanis Club. The Kiwanis Club? Is that what they're called? Yeah. What are, that's, it's like it's like rotary or potato potato. Oh my god. Fucking hell. I'm sorry, Lardy Da, Mr. Higgins. Just you wait, Henry Higgins. Just you wait. I wasn't pulling you up on your pronunciation. I was more surprised that the Kiwanis Club got involved. Just you wait. <laughs> It's like the Seroptimists getting involved. It's fucking weird. (laughs) The club founded the annual Exeter UFO Festival. (laughs) This year, it is being held across the 3rd and 4th of September in Exeter. So everybody schedule it into your calendar. The town hall will host a series of speakers on UFOs. And they'll also have a special gift shop with a promotional T-shirt available for sale. They also have a competition for the best alien costume and another contest for the best alien pet costume. Nice. Because nothing says honouring a monumental moment in history like having a pet Best pet dressed competition. Uh, but with all proceeds from the festival going to children's charities in the Exeter area. Well, that's nice. So something good did come out of this incident. So what, what do you what do you think? I don't know. I just hope that their festival involves a uh, also has a ludicrous explanation contest <laughs> where you have to gather everyone from the town in a field <gasps> at two in the morning. And go, turn the lights on and nothing happens. Oh, my God. You know what? That's actually a genius idea. It could be like a mystery, like, and you just, like, you schedule a day and yeah. you literally just go from one location to another location. And then, yeah, the person presents their theory. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, there's a prize yeah. for the most crackpot theory. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you listening? Oh, my God. We, sh- we could challenge the key fuck the kids of the exodus we're gonna start our own rival festival (laughs) to save money for my cats yes and sell t-shirts and we're gonna have our annual crackpots explaining the exeter ufo incident you know what i would do what i'd get everyone out into a field at two in the morning and just get them all to be absolutely deathly quiet yeah and then just go it's swamp gas (laughs) and then just very very subtly fart Swamp gas. And then just get in my car and fuck off like that, General. But when I let out a toot, you, you run out of the room screaming. You put the microphone to your bottom. Oh. I got that directly into my headphones. It was amplified. I feel like, you know, when they turn on the lights and someone's wearing night vision goggles. That's what it felt like. I will have you know, there are people right now on OnlyFans who would pay a very hefty subscription per month for that and you got it for free (laughs) my friend you got it for free in fact i think you now owe me (laughs) 59.95 per month i'll see you in small claims court (laughs) where you bring about your very valid legal argument apparently (laughs) farting on my microphone (laughs) somehow involves a contract of sale you know again i'm just going to bring everyone into a field you're going to be like one of those fucking crackpots this involves the magnifarta I nearly made you waste that last little bit of wine. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, the magnifada. <laughs> There's your next bit of merch. <laughs> uh, got all the nobles in the room. <laughs> uh, oh, my God, can you 
pulled over by the cops. Ah, Cole, the 28th Amendment. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, fart sobriety test. <laughs> you got to fart and hold your nose and recite the alphabet backwards. No, you got to fart the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is ri- this is ridiculous. I'm getting tense. Somebody call in a call in a Mothman because only a real Mothman would eat the carpet. I want a new catchphrase. I'm sick of telling people. Say to your catchphrase. Look at the dick. I want a new one. You're such a hunt. Can somebody please suggest me a new catchphrase? Officer Hunt. I want a new catchphrase. No, it's too late. That's no, it's not. Yeah, just shut up and look at your dick. <laughs> I hate you.